0: We are today at part three, at the third part of our series called The Spirit, a series about the Holy Spirit where we said whatever box you might have the Holy Spirit in, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, let's get an accurate view of who the Spirit of God is and let's break Him out of the boxes that we so often put Him in. And we've already talked the first week about the Holy Spirit is not just the power or energy, but it is the living God. Alive and working inside of us when we're believers. We heard the second week how we receive the Spirit when we give our lives to Jesus. It was a promise, a seal placed on our lives, the Holy Spirit. But that we can also pray for a fresh infilling and say, Holy Spirit, come and work through me again. But here is the thing I think that Christians sometimes struggle with. We often wonder... Um, I have accepted Jesus into my life, I've accepted Him as Lord and Savior, then I should have the Spirit, I've prayed for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, but still it feels like my life is kind of what it was. I don't necessarily feel something different, I don't necessarily see different fruit of the Spirit in my life, and what is up with that? And I want to start today by doing an illustration that I want you to kind of have in your head as we're going into the topic today. And our topic, by the way, is going to be resisting the Holy Spirit. But as we talk about this topic today, I want to use an illustration, and I want you to keep this illustration in mind as we go through the day. Our lives, when I think of my relationship with the Holy Spirit, I often think of my life as An e a gutter, whatever you call it, or just a pipe for that matter. This pipe in itself doesn't do a lot. But when you attach it to a roof, for example, and there's water flowing off the roof, this pipe doesn't make water. This pipe is simply a transportation method. And I want to show you, you you won't be able to see through this, but if you can look through it, this is a a two-inch pipe. Nothing inside of it, and I want to show you what happens when we pour water into the one side of this pipe. And my my um trusty slave when is gonna help me here. There is a pretty steady flow of water, nothing obstructing it. Thank you, Wen. And if you turn up the stream bigger, the source, like more water would flow through. But what often happens in our lives, the same that happens on your eavesdrops, right? Trees drops leaves and birds drop, all kind of things. And there's there's little stones and rocks and things that often block our eavesdrop. And the same happens in our spiritual lives. There are certain things that we're going to be talking about today that we often allow to enter our lives and starts to act as a blockage, an obstruction to the Holy Spirit. I want you to see what happens now because we think like, oh, if there's a blockage in my life, then there's no more spirits in my life. But I want you to see what happens now. Thank you, when you can leave it about there, I think. Although, there might be an obstruction, a blockage in our life, it doesn't completely dry up what's happening in our lives. The Spirit is still in your life if you're a Christian. The problem is that the stream, the working of the Holy Spirit through our lives, becomes significantly smaller. Not because He's not there, but because we're obstructing it. But the moment that we're willing To remove the obstruction, the stream can flow through again unobstructed. So as we're talking about this topic today, I want you to keep this in mind, and I want you to think about this illustration, because when we talk about resisting the Holy Spirit, if you're saying, Louis, but I don't feel like he's working in my life, I don't see a difference, I don't necessarily see the spiritual fruit, I want to assure you first of that if you are a Christian, we have covered this, you do have the Holy Spirit. So the problem is not that you, have to, that you do not have the Holy Spirit, but the problem might be that there's obstructions in your life not removing him from your life but that is limiting what he wants to do in and through your life and i believe there is two ways actually three ways that we can resist obstruct either the working in the spirit or our li- in our lives or just resist the spirit altogether So I'm going to cover the first two today, active and a passive way that we often obstruct the Spirit in our life, and that will be relevant for everyone sitting in this room that says, I have committed my life to Jesus, so I should have the Spirit, what's going on? And the last one will speak to you. If you're sitting here and you're still uncertain about Jesus, you're still uncertain about the faith, and you're like, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit yet. And I don't know if I might be missing him, but what's going on? So we're going to be talking both to you today, if you're a Christian, and to you if you're not a Christian, and um, I hope that this will that this will, give you a bit of hope and peace, but also something to look forward to as we think about the Holy Spirit in your own life. And what we're going to do is, we'll be reading four different texts that speak specifically in the New Testament To this topic, how do we resist the Holy Spirit or the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And each one covers kind of a different way that we resist. And the first two texts is all about active resistance. How can you actively resist what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? So what are those stones and those leaves and that piece of cloth that you are forcing into this pipe of your life and therefore preventing the Holy Spirit to do What he wants to do. And our first text is from Acts 7. Now, if you followed along, um, we started this series on Pentecost Day. That is Acts 2. Holy Spirit is poured out. He starts working through the early church. And by the way, it's the exact same spirit as 2,000 years ago. He didn't change. It's the same church. It's still Jesus' church. The only thing that might have changed is our perception of who he is or what he wants to do. But then in Acts 7, they choose a couple of deacons. These deacons were men that they asked to take care of the widows and the poor and everyone in the community. But one of these deacons named Stephen, he was a, pas- a, a passionate guy full of full of fire of the Holy Spirit, and he preached the message to the religious leaders, man, and he covers everything. He's like, you guys are missing out on this Jesus that was predicted for thousands of years in the Old Testament that you're reading. You are missing out on this Jesus. Then finally, they arrest him. He keeps preaching at them, and then this is how he closes, basically closes his argument from verse 51. He's not talking to religious leaders, right? The guys who think they are okay with God. The guys who've been studying the word of God. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, that's Jesus, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. As Stephen is preaching this incredibly powerful word, he concludes his message with this really radical and accurate evaluation of where these religious leaders were at, like what's going on in their hearts and he says two things, and, and we will have to explain these two things to really make sense of it. He says they, they are stiff-necked. I know it wasn't like a, a, a joint problem there or a spine problem. Okay, I don't know if they had chiros, but that's not the problem. And they were uncircumcised in heart and in ears. And you might be like, what on earth is this? When he was saying these words to the religious leaders, they didn't wonder what he was talking about. Because he's actually quoting the prophet Jeremiah and he's quoting the prophet Ezekiel, both which these guys would have known by heart. So he's pointing back. He's like, you remember that them? They said, You're stiff necked. Guess what? You're still stiff necked after thousands of years. Like, you didn't change. And basically what he's telling them is they had the kind of attitude that opposed the work of the Holy Spirit. If you go and Google the word stiff-necked, it literally means stubborn. They were stubborn. They were all about themselves. They wanted their will. They wanted the honor of the people. They wanted everything they wanted, but they didn't want exactly what God wanted for them. They were stubborn religious people. And I think often we do the same thing where we know, maybe you grew up in church. We know what God wants of our lives. And this goes for everyone. Whether you're sitting in this room today and you're 10 years old or whether you're 80, we know what God wants for our lives. But we struggle between doing what He's asking us to do and our stubbornness that's telling me, I want to do what I want to do. Like, I'll gather as a church if I want to. I'll do what I want. I will decide if I'm going to follow this law of God or not. He says, they are uncircumcised in heart and ears. And this is the thing that he is basically pointing to. The mark that marked them as the people of God was the physical circumcision when a boy was about eight days old. So these guys were physically marked So they believe they are the people of God because they carry the right markings, because they do the right religious things, because they show up to church, or because they have a Bible on the bedside table, even though the dust on it is five centimeters thick, right? They thought the external things were all that mattered. And he's like, no, no. The problem is your ears and your heart. The word of God, the gospel, means nothing if you know it by all the words by heart, but it doesn't transform your heart and it doesn't transform your life in the here and now. Then it's worth nothing. And he tells them, you are like that. It affected your rituals, but it didn't lead to, trans- lead to transformation. They didn't want to allow God to cut away the things in the life that wasn't in line with his will." And then he says, and then you don't even allow God to speak to you through his messengers. Because remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out yet. So everyone didn't have access to him. The Holy Spirit was given to certain people at certain times. So the prophets, the Holy Spirit would come over a prophet to speak to the people as a, as a megaphone for God. So that people could hear what God wanted for their lives. And he's like, but you don't want to hear them. You ignore them. You kill them. Even up to the point where you kill Jesus. So often the thing is we want to do religion the same way. We want it on our terms. No matter what what God's word says. No matter what the prophet said. We want it on our terms. We want a service to look the way we are comfortable with. We want, especially in westernized Christianity, we've, we've become so consumer-driven that we shop a little bit here and we shop a little bit there for everything that's comfortable. And, and God is like, I've got so much more planned for you, but we are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. They were so self-righteous and self-sufficient that they were working against the Holy Spirit. They were resisting Him. And I want to tell you today, I believe this is the first problem. That if we say, if you say that you follow God without allowing His Holy Spirit to transform your life, every bit of it, your marriage, the way you think about work, the way you interact with your neighbors, if you say you follow God without allowing His Spirit to transform your life, that positions you in opposition to the Holy Spirit. There's a war inside of you going on then between the Holy Spirit who wants to bring transformation to your life and you saying, I don't want this. And by opposing the Holy Spirit, if you think of our illustration by being so stiff-necked, so stubborn, like all you're doing is you're putting more things into this pipe that, that resembles your life. And the Holy Spirit is still there. But the trick will become smaller and smaller. But we continue. That's the first way that we often actively resist him. But then in Ephesians 4, Paul, he was a a man who had a radical encounter with Jesus, went from killing Christians to being so filled with the Spirit that he was preaching Jesus all over the world, planting churches. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and this is what he writes them from verse 30, Ephesians 4. So Paul touches on the second thing that we find in the New Testament, and he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And then he's like, if you want to know what grieves the Holy Spirit, if you want to know what makes him sad, he says this, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. You can say, okay, that." That is the desire to do evil and it is sin. But what is interesting, if you look at all of those, it's very interesting that all of them specifically relates to how we interact with each other. You see, so often when we hear about the laws of God, people will say like, oh, I don't want to be a Christian because Christianity is so restrictive. I'm like, it's not restrictive at all. We probably have the freest religion in the world. See, but God does give us rules, and God doesn't give us rules to restrict us. God gives us rules to protect us. There's a difference. Because rage, bitterness, anger, that doesn't do you good. And it doesn't do your neighbor good. And it doesn't do your relationship with God any good. It just hurts everything and everyone in the process. And therefore, the Holy Spirit doesn't want it in his life. And he specifically, Paul, if you just missed what we said in the first week, that the Holy Spirit is not just an energy or something. The Holy Spirit is a person, he is God. And Paul says he gets sad. He he doesn't just say, like, oh, like, you know, "You, you made a bit of a blockage here in your life. So I kind of don't care if you feel happy one day, like, open it again. And he actually is sad. His heart breaks for the fact that you and I choose to have evil in our lives. That you and I choose to hurt each other. That you and I choose to do things like that. It hurts him. The same way that when we have bad behavior in our lives, it hurts those closest to us. When I shout, when I scream, when I get angry, it hurts my wife, it hurts my children. And they are saddened by it. So it shouldn't surprise you that the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, who is a person, gets saddened by our behavior. But not only does it harm everyone around us. Here's the bigger problem that I think we miss so often. We serve as Christians. Not just a God, but we serve a holy God. A God that is perfect in every sense. And the Bible tells us that any form of evil, of sin, of brokenness cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And that is why he tells us, like, I don't want this in your life. You're not just hurting everyone around you, but you're hurting me. Like, you're causing division, you're causing a rift between us and God. And therefore, Paul encourages them. He's like, no, rather live the way of the Spirit. Be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving, just like Christ was. You know what's my favorite thing about Christianity? It is not a God that asks stuff of us that He wouldn't do Himself. Jesus came to earth, and when people drove nails through His hands and His feet and crucified Him for something He didn't do, what was His words? Father, forgive them. You and I will never have to forgive someone for that. Probably never. Jesus doesn't ask anything of us. And His Holy Spirit will guide you to do anything that Jesus Himself wasn't willing to embody in His own life. A life where sin and bitterness flourish makes the Holy Spirit sad. And every time that sin is present, we just put another pebble in the pipe. Every time that we are bitter towards someone, it's another pebble in the pipe. And you wonder why there's a smaller and a smaller trickle in your life of the working of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, what are you actively doing to resist Him in your life? That's active ways. The active resistance of the Holy Spirit is doing things that oppose Him, that saddens Him. And maybe you're, you're here today and you're like, man, I can identify with some of what you just said. But honestly, like I try to live my life according to the Holy Spirit. I try to cut this stuff as much as possible. So at least I'm not actively resisting in. And I don't know what's going on, but like there's still a, a problem. And I think the problem is that it's not just active resistance, but there's something like passive resistance as well. And that's the next one that we find when Paul again writes to a different church. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, and I could have just given you verse 19, but I want you to see a bit of the bigger picture. He says, Rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then this. Do not quench the spirit. Full stop. And then it continues again. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but taste them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Right there in the middle is a short little sentence. Do not quench the spirit. And there's not a lot of context. There's not a lot of, that tells us, like, oh, how do we quench the spirit or what do we do? But there is something in that word quench that I think is really significant. If you go to the Greek that is used in, in Kohina Greek in the New Testament, that word is numi," And they literally translate it as extinguishing or quenching. Like, that's just what you said, yes. But here's the interesting part. That word appears four other times in the New Testament. Four times. Each time it's about a fire. Okay, Mark 12, 20. God will not quench that same Greek word, a smoldering wick. Matthew 25, 8. Jesus tells a story about 10 ladies with, with oil lamps, and some asked them for some of their oil. And they were like, No, sorry, we can't give to you. Otherwise, our lamps will be quenched, it will be extinguished. Mark 9, verse 44, Jesus talks about hell. And he says, there is a fire in hell that cannot be extinguished. Same Greek word. Ephesians 6, we read about the armor of God. Well, by the way, we're talking about that at Fair Havens, about spiritual warfare. He talks about the armor of God, and he says, take up the shield of faith, and that will help you to quench the fiery arrows of the evil one. So each time this word occurs in the New Testament, it's about putting out a fire. And like, there is so much... In that, where Paul is telling us, there can be a fire in your life for the Holy Spirit. You can be on fire for the Holy Spirit, and you can actually go and take out your little fire extinguisher and just empty it a little bit on that fire. You can put out, you can extinguish the fire that is in your life, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what does Paul, the same Paul that wrote that, write to his His um, student, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, he says, This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. So just like a fire can be extinguished or a fire can be fanned into flame... So the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, can be extinguished or it can be fanned into flame. You see, we don't necessarily need to actively be working against the Holy Spirit. But if you don't tend to a fire, it will slowly be quenched. And I think often that's what we do with the Holy Spirit. We make so little of the Holy Spirit. We make so little of His promptings. When we feel something deep in our soul, like take care of this person or go and pray for that person. Or we get this conviction of sin in our life and we're like, where is this coming from? That's the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. And we make so little of it that without actively putting anything in here, we just allow the leaves that falls to just clog Our gutters. All the worries and all the problems of the world and all the things that take our attention away from the Holy Spirit. You read your Bible and the Spirit stirs up this spiritual conviction in your life. And you have to choose, am I going to fan it into flame or suppress it? You just feel the sense that you have to serve, that you, that you need to do something for God, that you can't just be a spectator anymore. And you have to choose, are you going to fan it into flame or are you going to quench it? You get that sense to pray for someone. Wake up in the middle of the night and you just think, like, I should pray for this person. You're like, oh, maybe it's my imagination. You have to choose, are you going to fan it into flame or suppress it? And that's the question, will we allow the Spirit to blaze within our hearts? Will we fan it into flame, what He's doing, or will we extinguish the working of the Spirit? So we can both actively and passively work against the Holy Spirit in our life, actively by doing things that oppose Him, that saddens Him, and passively by just neglecting the things of the Holy Spirit, not caring about Him. By the way, if you ask me why so many churches I think today is dying. Maybe this is the reason why. Because we've made so little of the one who empowered the church to change the world. But there's also a different way. And that is not just resisting the work of the Holy Spirit, but there's also resisting the Holy Spirit completely. And Jesus actually talked about it, and it's recorded in both Luke 12 and in Matthew 12, ironically, both of the Gospels, the same chapter. And hear what Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 8 to 10. Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly, publicly acknowledges me before others... The Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Have you ever been scared by that verse? Like, what is that word? Like, I don't want to say Like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to... I don't want to do the sin, the unforgivable sin as it is known. And for a lot of people, I think it filled them with fear because I'm like, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Is it just saying something bad against the Holy Spirit? Is it like when I still didn't know about him, I said like there is nothing like the Holy Spirit? Like, what, what is it? Like What if I've accidentally done it and I can never be forgiven? Here's the simple answer. And the simple answer is a process that we've been busy with the last couple of weeks. Okay, What is the work, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unbeliever if you don't know Jesus? We learned that His work is to convict us, to expose sin in our life and point us to Jesus. How do we find forgiveness? Not by doing good works. Not by being perfect, not by coming to church. How do we find forgiveness for our brokenness and our sin and our mistakes? Jesus freely gives that to us when we accept Him, when we believe in Him, after the Holy Spirit pointed us to Jesus. And how can I miss out on forgiveness for any sin? It's not by dying without confessing it. Because if you're a Christian, guess what? The sin you haven't done? Jesus said you're already forgiven for it. So it's not about confession. You miss out on forgiveness when you don't have the one in your life that gives forgiveness, and that's Jesus. So there is a clear process that we see, and that's why Jesus says, you can sin against me. You can say a bad word about me, and you can still be forgiven. Because if the Holy Spirit convicts you that that is wrong, and he leads you to me, and you believe in me, guess what? There's forgiveness. But if you oppose the Holy Spirit, the one that's convicting you of whatever is going on in your life, and he points you to Jesus, and you oppose him, and you're like, I'm not interested in that. That is the unforgivable sin. Because when you ignore consistently and persistently reject the convincing work of the Holy Spirit in your life, it is impossible for you to get to Jesus, and therefore it's impossible for you to be forgiven. So don't worry about wondering like, if you've maybe accidentally done it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you've got this something happening in your life. You just feel like there's, there's a move, like something is pulling me. That's the Holy Spirit busy working and you're pointing you to Jesus. And you've got a choice then to make to say whether I'm going to consistently and persistently reject that or whether I'm going to respond to that. And if you are a Christian and you have Jesus... It's so funny how the world often talks about judgmental Christians that say one thing and live a different thing. Listen, I don't say one thing and live a different thing. I try my best, but this is what I know. Christians are not perfect, not me and not you. And we don't say we need to be perfect. We say we have and serve a perfect God. That's it. So if you have Jesus, whatever has happened in your life, whatever sin, whatever brokenness, whatever you've said, whatever you've believed in the past, in Jesus there is forgiveness for all of it. A believer cannot accidentally lose the Holy Spirit. All of those things that we stuff in here that opposes the work of the Holy Spirit... That doesn't remove him from our lives. Because he's the seal, the Bible says, when we believe in Jesus. He never leaves. The stream just gets smaller because we oppose him. We resist his working. And you won't wake up one day and you're like, oh, he's gone. Like somehow he fell out. That's impossible. The Holy Spirit is always there. But you can choose to reject him from being part of your life altogether by saying i do not want anything to do with the convicting work in my life i don't want anything to do with this jesus so that's our three different ways that we resist him actively by doing things that that's sinful and broken and hurtful by just following our own will Passively, but just not giving attention to Him. By not fanning into flame, by quenching the fire. Or we can completely reject who He is if we choose to ignore Him forever. Because I want to remove as much obstacles as possible from my life. Because I don't want a trickle of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want the full force of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. And if you want to know what that looks like, we're going to be talking about that in the final part of the series. What He does in our life. But I don't want anything in my life to oppose the Holy Spirit. I don't want anything in my life to sadden Him. And I know I will fail. And sometimes a leaf will blow over and there's a little bit of a passiveness because I don't want into flame and sometimes I will have a little pebble that I did something wrong that goes in there. But I have the choice every day to clear all of that away by choosing to not continue that way, by choosing to accept the forgiveness and the freedom that I have in Jesus. And when we can truly depend on the Spirit like that, when we truly start, when we truly stop resisting Him, Not only are we radically radically transformed by who He is, but through us He starts to radically transform the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, Jesus, that when You left, You didn't leave us on our own you spend your spirit to be with us, to be in us, to indwell us. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that I don't have to try to figure all this life out on my own. I don't have to live it all on my own, but that your spirit guides me. And I pray today for each person in this room, each person listening or watching online, I pray that you would open our eyes to the resisting of the Holy Spirit, to the resisting of the work of the Spirit. I pray for those who do not follow you yet, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would keep doing its work and bring breakthrough in the lives so that they can finally see Jesus for who he is and experience the beauty of life with you. But I pray for every believer, every believer who feels powerless, broken. Every believer who's wondering, God, where are you this morning? And I pray that you would reveal to us every obstacle that we have placed between us and you. And that you would equip us with the power and the wisdom to remove it so that you can work in and through us completely unhindered. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.